listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. Welcome to part two of Rescuing Joy. I'm going to talk about a big joy killer in this episode, and uh, then also a couple of joy generators. Um, first, let me give you a quick update on Life on the Verge. We are about to hit the road in less than a week. Uh, we'll be going down to the Outer Banks, and then up to Northern Virginia, and then back down to Florida for a slew of prison dates. We're really excited because... Uh, more and more chaplains are reaching out to us and asking us to come. That's really cool. I mean, it's kind of been almost 10 years of building a reputation of an effective ministry, and we want to thank all of you that have helped us do that, continue to help us do that, um, because that's half the battle, really, is getting through the gate in those prisons. Um, We know the Lord has given us an effective approach to sharing the gospel and inspiring, doing what we do. We entertain, we edify and we evangelize, and uh, we do it in the strength that God provides and uh, through the finances that God provides through His people. So thank you, and thank you for your prayers. Do keep us in prayer. There's so much to do before we hit the road, and then while we're on the road, everything could go wrong uh, if the Lord doesn't protect us and guide us and keep us. So, hey, th- I know you got your own trials and tribulations, but uh, lift us up once in a while, too. We'd really, really appreciate it. By the way, if you don't get our emails, you can email me at mark at lifeontheverse.com and we'll subscribe you there. We try not to uh, blow your mailbox up too much. If you'd like the print newsletter, just contact me at that email address, mark at lifeontheverse.com, and uh, we will send you the print version of our email letter. The Good Infection Project rolls on. We're getting ready to send a new shipment out, so that's a new arm of our ministry that you helped us create Uh, that we're hearing more and more about the effectiveness of it now that we're getting back into prisons, that these inmates are, in fact, watching the DVDs that we're sending in and the books are in their libraries. And so that's just been really, really cool. There's always opportunity and obstacles. Um, There's always possibilities in the problems. We've just got to look for them, ask God to show us those things. All right. Just by review, I want to look at Dictionary.com's definition of joy. It says that it's the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Keen pleasure, elation. C.S. Lewis said, Joy bursts into our lives when we go about doing the good at hand and not trying to manipulate things and times to achieve joy. I really like that. It really plays into kind of the part one of this series where I talked about Solomon saying, look, here's here's a guy, the wealthiest guy that ever lived, perhaps the wisest guy that ever lived. He had it all, put it that way. He had everything money could buy. And he said this in Ecclesiastes 2.24, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Work is a gift. Excuse me, that God has given us. He gave Adam work to do in the garden before the fall because we can find great fulfillment in work. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 9 
What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. It's great that when we can do work or that we enjoy. There's some work we automatically enjoy. It's great when you can find that kind of work, when you can find work that you get lost in. You you forget to eat. You turn your phone off because you're so enthralled in the work <clears throat> that you enjoy. But sometimes we've got to find the joy in our work. See the difference? Find joy in our work versus find work we enjoy. Uh, even if we find work we enjoy, there's still plenty of other work behind the scenes kind of stuff, other stuff that we've got to find the joy in. Uh, work is is a joy generator. You, you may not experience great joy while you're doing the work, but when the work is done, there's a certain amount of satisfaction that brings that definition, the emotion of great delight or happiness. You know, this week, <clears throat> excuse me, it's very early in the morning and uh, my throat is not woke up yet. Um, this week, I had to crawl on top of our RV and seal, you know, you have to do that like at least once a year. There's like a caulking material sealant that goes around all the skylights and all the stuff at the top. You've got to seal all the seams, by the way, um, when you own an RV or else you will eventually get leaks because the kind of caulk sealant starts to crack and lets water in, which is the biggest enemy of RVs. And the roof is especially susceptible. And so this week, I finally waited for a day that it wasn't going to be like 110 degrees outside. I think it got up into the 80s um, to crawl up on that roof and seal around all the, uh, you know, ceiling lights and all that stuff, the, the, the air conditioning vents and all that. Um, well, let me tell you, <laughs> I didn't enjoy that work. I had to find some joy in that work. Um, I, enjoy, I found great satisfaction when it was done. First off, this new RV, I think it's it's about 14 feet high or something like that. It's a lot taller than the other RVs we've had. And I'm not crazy about heights, especially when you don't have something around you to grab a hold of. If you stumble, you're gone. <laughs> and so not only that, I realized after the fact, praise God, this RV has a fiberglass roof. A lot of RVs have rubber roofs. Which are, which are cool, but they got to be constantly coated and repaired and you know, the rubber tears if you hit a tree or something. This has a very hard fiberglass top, which is wonderful, except because of my uh, dislike of heights, I virtually laid across the top while I squeezed that caulk gun uh, and put caulk around all these things or sealing around all these things and then discovered after the fact that that fiberglass was in in my my forearms and my legs. And so I'm just telling you this to say that there was not a lot of enjoyment in that process, um, but there was enjoyment when it was done. Praise God, it is done. I can rest. I did the job. You know, the same could be said about cutting the grass this time of year, right? There's not not always a lot of joy. Some people enjoy getting on a lawn tractor or something like that. Uh, but when you got to get out there in the heat, especially with a push mower or weed whacker and all that, but when it's done, 
there is a sense of joy that you, you finish the job, at least for now, right? Um, and so there's another, you know, I've been reading a book called The Practice by a guy named Seth Godin, who's a marketing guru. It isn't a Christian book. Matter of fact, I think Seth is Jewish, but he is a brilliant, brilliant writer when it comes to um you know, marketing and uh, kind of self-helpish type stuff. And uh, this book, The Practice, he talks about, you know, art being work. Now, art isn't just music and painting. Art is anything we create. I mean, this podcast, to some degree, is art. Uh, When a pastor puts a sermon together, it's art. Your business idea can be art. It's a creation, is what he's talking about anyway in the book. And he says this, He says, when you choose to produce creative work, you're solving a problem, not just for you, but for those who will encounter what you've made. By putting yourself on the hook, you're performing a generous act. You are sharing insight and love and magic. And the more it spreads, the more it's worth to all those who are lucky enough to experience your contribution. Art is something we get to do for other people people. Man, now that is the key right there. While I was on that RV uh, doing that work, now I it didn't feel like I was creating something. It didn't feel like it was art, but I did have to keep my mind on that this, this is going to lead to being able to present our art, our creation to other people. This is for other people. This is part of the process. This is what I must accomplish so that I can get to where I want to be. And keeping that other's mindset, you know, for you guys that that are artists that write music, and he talks a lot in the in the book about uh, or, or people that write sermons or again a business idea, people that create things for other people that the vast majority of people, you're probably not going to impact the mass market. Those are rare. It could happen. We don't control those miracles. But there are going to... So he talks in the book a lot about art, that you, we create art that might not work, and we got to come to terms with that. But we care enough to create it because we know that it might catch on. It might bless somebody. We might bring a little bit of light into this dark world with through our creation, what we put together. And so all of that is work that can generate joy. So work is definitely, and I, I may do a whole series with some concepts from Seth Godin's book, um, The Practice. It's, there's some really keen insights in there, and I can add my bent on it, but he, he says a lot of things. A lot of it is just reminders. You know, sometimes we just need to read books uh, that remind us, or we need to listen to sermons that remind us. You know, Peter wrote uh, in one of his books, First or Second Peter, maybe both. He, I think it was three different times he said, I write these things to remind you. We forget quick. And so we need to go back sometimes and read the highlights and books we've already read. Uh, it's also the importance of journaling um, to kind of just remind yourself uh, of some of the things that have gotten you across, you know, gaps and in and, and, and places where you felt depressed and down and, and you need to just, you know, re- recover your joy. So let's talk a minute about uh, a big joy killer. This is a huge one in our day and age, and that is unhealthy comparison. If you want to send a nuclear missile into your joy quotient, start 
using unhealthy comparison. Start comparing yourself to other people in an unhealthy way. I say unhealthy because being inspired by someone else's success can be healthy if it's done right. You know, I've got now my friend Jimmy Bratcher is probably my number one mentor, friend, and I steal his work all the time. I'm not intimidated by what Jimmy does. I'm inspired by it. He's always out in front of me doing more. He was telling me yesterday about the next two albums he's going to record. But he also has a mentor named Jim Richards that inspires him and tires him out and leads him. I've, I've said before that we need to have three types of people in our lives, those we lead, those we walk beside, and those we follow. Uh, we need to constantly be on a, a quest and examining, do I have those three types of people in my life? Are there those that, that I influence, that I kind of lead, that I inspire? Are, those, are there those that I more or less kind of walk beside? And then are there, there are those that inspire me, that lead me? Um, we need those three types. So unhealthy comparison is a comparison that generates jealousy and envy. That's a joy killer. You know, my gosh, in this day of an age of social media, some of us need to do a social media detox because uh, we get to scrolling and we get to comparing and it all sorts of negative emotions can be aroused. And I don't think that we have to say, I'm never, I'm, I'm just deleting my Facebook account and I'm never getting on Instagram again. Uh, no, we can simply take a break, a detox from it. It's a, it's a useful tool, but it has to be managed. Uh, Psalm 73, I've read it before on, on the podcast. It's one of my favorites because this is Asaph, who's a worship leader for the house of God. And uh, he's doing some unhealthy comparison. Um, he says, uh, he's just being real. He says in verse one, I'm gonna read the whole thing. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggle in their death and their bodies are well fed. They are free of the burdens others carry. They are not afflicted like other men. Therefore, pride is their necklace. A garment of violence covers them. From their prosperity proceeds iniquity. The imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. So their people return to this place and drink up waters in abundance. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Behold, these are the wicked, always carefree as they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In innocence I have washed my hands, for I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Man, look at this. Okay, he's looking at people that have it better than him and at least appear to have it better than him a key word, appear, and that's what a lot of social media is or the news or, you know, the entertainment world. Things appear to be fantastic. And we can start comparing uh, their their front stage, you know, life that they put out there for everybody to see with our backstage life, all, all the rough and tumble stuff that we're dealing with. That's so unhealthy. We all can fall into it, probably have, We've got to guard ourselves against it. Now, what I love is that Asaph said this. 
in verse 15, after he said all this, he's looking at himself. In vain, I've kept my heart pure. He's looking at the wicked. Man, they got it all together. They got money. They got, you know, great health and blah, 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 blah. He says in verse 15, if I had said, I will speak this way, then I would have betrayed your children. In other words, he kept all this inside. He didn't go out and blab it. Um, And that's commendable, by the way, that even though he was feeling all these negative feelings, um, he didn't put it out there. He didn't start running his mouth about other people to other people. He said, I would have betrayed your children. He knows he would have hurt other people by doing that. So we may struggle with unhealthy comparison. We got to come to terms with that between us and God and not go you know, just spreading our poison and our ill feelings toward other people to other people, causing more and more damage. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17 is the turning point. Until I entered God's sanctuary, then I discerned therein. Surely you set them on slick ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are laid to waste, completely swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, so you, O Lord, awaken and despise their form. When my heart was grieved, I was pierced within. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He's confessing. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and later receive me in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire no one besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those far away from you will surely perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to draw near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may proclaim all your works. Now, the first joy generator I want to talk about is meditating on who we are in Christ. And this is what Asaph came to terms with. He entered the sanctuary of God and he began to recognize what the Bible calls the joy of our salvation. Ecclesiastes 3.11, I read a minute ago, it says that also he has put eternity into man's heart. There's something in us that says there must be something beyond this life. There must be a realm beyond this life. C.S. Lewis said this, All joy reminds it's never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. There is this hope the Bible talks about that we're to set our hearts on, that hope of seeing God, that hope that God is there for us. You know, we can find some level of joy and things like a baby smile or a new trinket or in our work, but ultimately there's something deeper within us that knows there must be more. And that is our hope in Christ. Now, I love Webster's um, definition, and I, I use this website all the time. It's online, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I like to see how words were defined uh, by a Christian author of a dictionary uh, back in the 1800, early 1800s. He says, it's the passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. That excitement of pleasurable feelings, which is caused by success, 
good fortune, the gratification of desire, or some good possessed, or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire, gladness, exultation, exhilaration of spirits. There's a lot there. But what I love about Webster in his 1828 dictionary is he always adds a scripture to his definitions. And he he used Hebrews 12.2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, talking about Jesus. And when I read that, it led me to that whole passage, starting in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now I believe he's referring to Hebrews chapter 11. We refer to that as the hall of faith of all these people who didn't necessarily see, but they moved by faith. They lived by faith. And he says, look, look at what all these people have done. And we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So let's throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix, that word in the Greek means to look away from all else. Listen, the joy of our salvation is the deepest joy. And sometimes we have to get alone with God. And we've got, just like Asaph did, or or David in Psalm 51, verse 10, he prayed this prayer. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, all of us get a wrong spirit once in a while. All of us sin against God. David failed miserably. Most of us won't end up committing adultery and murdering someone or arranging for the murder of someone and the the things that David did, but we sin. Every day we struggle with bad spirits, a bad spirit, a bad attitude. He prays. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Sometimes we need to get alone with God and strengthen ourselves. You know, I we, we would hope that, man, our spouse may bring us some joy and encourage us, or a friend may do it, or somebody's going to come knock on our door and tell us it's going to be all right. Well, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it tells us that David encouraged or strengthened himself in the Lord. That verse says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He had to get alone and just him and God and strengthen. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of who I am in you. This is what happened when Asaph entered the sanctuary of God. You know, I I used to, I mean, this can happen anywhere. I understand that we can make anywhere the sanctuary. I mean, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. But there were times when, especially, um, I wasn't doing a lot of the work that I enjoy. I was, I was, finding joy in my work, and I felt trapped by my work, and I thought, you know, there's no way my vision is going to come to pass, and I'd really get down and out uh, way back in the 90s, and uh, I would go 
into the church that I went to when nobody was there, and there was a certain place up in the balcony that I would kneel at a pew, and I would just pour my heart out to God, and I would worship God, and I would confess, and I would ask God to restore the joy of my salvation. Um, I might not get everything I want in this life, but I have the most important thing, and that is Christ as my Savior in my heart. I have the Holy Spirit in me, Lord. Restore that joy. You know, sometimes one way is to, yeah, there was a poster years ago. I looked online to see if I could find it. I, this might be it. There were two posters when I first really came back to the Lord in 1991. I'd been stumbling around for a number of years and got re-engaged in a local church body. And, you know, I started wearing Christian t-shirts. I was proud of my faith. You know, I that was a big step for me. Um, and there were two posters that were uh, in the Christian bookstores. There used to be a, a big Christian bookstore. It may still be around. I don't know. It's called Heaven and Earth. There were, there were a few of them in the Tidewater area. And there were two posters. One was a poster that had all the definitions or a, a, a bunch of definitions of who Jesus is. And the other was a poster uh, of all the, de- or many of the definitions of who we are in Christ. And I think that sometimes when our joy is under assault, we've got to go back and confess those things. Let me read a couple off of one of the posters I found online. As believers, you are saved forever by grace through faith, forgiven, accepted, beloved of God, servants of the Most High, new creatures, dead to sin, alive to God, walking in the newness of life, baptized into Christ Jesus, the temple of the Holy Spirit, clothed with Christ, holy, blameless, at peace with God. As Christians, you are born again, partakers of the divine nature, empowered by God, children of promise, one in him, the body of Christ, seated in heaven, kingdom citizens, a royal priesthood, vessels of honor, salt of the earth, light of the world, soldiers of Christ, fishers of men, ministers of reconciliation, victorious. And that's just a few. And there's scriptures to back every one of those up. That's who we are in Christ. And sometimes we've got to remind ourselves of who we are, of who our identity is in Christ, and restore the joy of our salvation. Joy is our strength. We might not get everything we want in life, but if we will prioritize and fix our eyes on Jesus, he will lead us into all those things he's prepared in advance for us to do that he wants us to accomplish with our lives. I'm not going to get have time to get to the joy generator number two. Uh, it's a good one. I'll bring that up in the next episode, but let's just recap, okay? A big joy killer is to do what Asaph did in the first part of Psalm 73. We, we've got to protect our joy, man, because it is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We want to live joyful lives, and if we if we have no joy, we, we can't accomplish what God's put us on the earth to do. We get down, and, and I've used my friend Stan Grant's word, mully grubs. We get depressed. We get down and out, and we close ourselves off instead of putting ourselves out there generously for other people. We need joy. An unhealthy comparison will destroy our joy. So we've got to guard ourselves against that. And then a joy, big, the number one joy generator is to recognize and meditate of, on who we are in Christ, to restore 
the joy of our salvation, to put our hope in Christ, in seeing Jesus, to lift up. You know, Jesus, even when he talked about his return and all the terrible things that are going to be happening on the earth, he said, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. We've got to come to terms with that, that look, this life is never going to fully satisfy, but we are reaching, we are expecting. God has put eternity into our hearts, the eternal life, where we will experience joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible says. That's a real deal, and God's put it in our hearts. And if we'll stir it up, that spiritual side of who we are, listen, we're three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. And we need to pay very close attention to our spirit and make sure that we are spending time with the Lord, restoring the joy of our asking him, confessing if we need to, just like David created me a clean heart, just like Asaph, I was a brute beast before you. He confessed it. And then he began to, to recite who he was in God, in Christ, who we are and who God says we are. Our ears need to hear our lips confessing those things. Confess just means to say the same thing as. Our ears need to hear our lips saying the same things that God says about us, not being drug around by our feelings, which are so fickle and so crazy. Our feelings and our emotions are all over the place. The firm foundation is who God says we are. And sometimes we just need to get alone with God and we need to confess if that's what we need to do first. We need to uh, confess our sin, but then we need to confess out loud who we are, who God says we are in him. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, stay tuned for part three. Keep us in prayer. Um, I don't know if I'll get part three out before we hit the road. It's less than a week. And I am going to retool this podcast, by the way, my friend Jason Hess. Shout out to Jason if you're listening. He said, man, you, you should maybe, now you got a new album out, maybe you should use, use a new song at the intro. I, I don't put enough attention into this. I, I, I'm going to start putting a little more effort uh, into the podcast. I say that. I wanted to start videoing it, but anyway, I'm over 30 minutes, and uh, we'll be back at you with part three soon. God bless you. Have a great week, and be joyful. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com, or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister at your church or your business.